We could spend a whole morning talking about only them, how they believed God, how they fasted, how they prayed, how their collective repentance changes God's mind. That is an awesome part of the story. But this book is not called Nineveh. It's called Jonah. If this story were about the Ninevites, we'd hear a lot more about the calamity that was averted. There would probably be a high holy day and a yearly celebration of their salvation, and a lot more people would know their story. But this is Jonah's story. So if I hadn't uh, thrown out the lectionary last week in favor of Martin Luther King's Christmas message on peace, you would have heard two call stories, one from the book of 1 Samuel, unsurprisingly Samuel's call story, and the story of the call of the disciples from the Gospel of John. This week, uh, there are two more call stories in front of us in the lectionary, of which we just heard one. The other one assigned to the state is the story of the call of the disciples from Mark's Gospel. I could have talked this morning about how God calls us and why Jesus didn't need us all to become fishermen, thank goodness, but instead asked the disciples to follow him and do what they already knew how to do, just in a new way. I could have, but the story we heard in the Old Testament from the book of Jonah is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. And even though I've preached on Jonah a few times in the past few years, I simply just can't pass him up. He shows up so rarely in our lectionary that I just can't pass him up. He's the best or the worst, but we'll get to that. First, it's helpful to remember how we got to this point in Jonah. We started in Jonah chapter three, um, but we've missed some things in the telling. Katie alluded to it a little bit in her kids' time, but we know we've missed some things because the first lines of today's third chapter say, the word of God came to Jonah a second time. That's how our gospel story or our text from this morning starts. A second time implies a first time. So obviously we have some catching up to do. So Jonah, first and second chapters are maybe the most familiar part of the story. The word of God comes to Jonah, says, Jonah, go to Nineveh, preach this word to the people of Nineveh. They've been acting kind of badly, and I'd like them to turn it around, God says, so I'd like you to go and ask them to repent. And Jonah says, thanks so much for asking, but I'd rather not. And instead of just saying no, he runs uh, as far as he can go. I've preached on this before and shown the map. It's hilarious. It's like instead of going from... Brooklyn Park to Minneapolis to run away. Jonah goes to the uh, like Key West, like as far away in the same land area that he could go all the way to the edge, as far as he can imagine, away from where God is asking him to go. He goes running away. And does he, does he succeed? No, of course not. Because as Katie said in these kids, Ben's face, uh, when Katie said, can you hide from God, was like, no. That's exactly the correct response <laughs> to this moment. You cannot run from God. So of course, God finds Jonah. God sees Jonah. There's a big storm that arises on the sea as he's traveling as far away as he can get. And uh, as he's doing it, the, the people in the boat are like, why is the storm happening? It must be somebody's fault. And they all turn to look at Jonah. And Jonah's like, you're right. It's my fault. I'm trying to run from God. And they're like, well, 
we need to do something about this. And he's like, okay, my bad. And they throw him overboard, which feels like kind of a drastic step to take, but okay. And because God still has a task for Jonah to do, he sends a big fish who swallows Jonah. And then Jonah sits in this whale silently or fish for a few days and then yells out this prayer of being like, I'm so sorry. I did this thing. I know I was bad. You are God. I am not. Please forgive me. Oh my gosh. And at the end of all of that, this fish vomits Jonah out. That's the word in Hebrew. It's great. Just picture this vomiting person on the shore and he gets up and that is where we begin the third chapter. The word of God comes to Jonah a second time and says, let's try this again, shall we? You guys, Jonah is my favorite because he's so funny. It's so funny. The whole thing is hilarious. So Jonah, smelling like fish guts and ocean, starts walking into this town. He does what God asks him to do, but I need to say, importantly, he does it reluctantly. He walks into the city only a little bit, not the full length of the city, not all the way through, just a little bit in, and he gives the shortest sermon ever recorded in scripture. It is eight words for us, but it's only five in Hebrew. So he really, he really phones it in here, okay? So he gets in there, not all the way in, and he says, 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. Like he doesn't wanna do it, right? As far as sermons go, it's not anyone's best work and is certainly not Jonah's best. Bare minimum of effort here, but despite all of that, this is a very effective sermon. The entire city of Nineveh repents. The entire city, every man, woman, child, even animal. We, we cut the part where the king is talking in this today's text, but the king tells even animals to repent, which is, again, hilarious. Like all the people put on a sackcloth and they have to put it on their animals too. If you have a dog or a cat at home, just imagine putting them in a sackcloth and having them repent along with you. Hilarious. They all fast and pray to God to preserve their lives. I read a commentator say this week that Billy Graham would be so lucky to have this kind of response, right? They go above and beyond, even the animals. That's how seriously they take this directive. And at this point, it would be so easy to make this story about the Ninevites. They aren't unimportant in the story after all. We could spend a whole morning talking about only them, how they believed God, how they fasted, how they prayed, how their collective repentance changes God's mind. That is an awesome part of the story. But this book is not called Nineveh. It's called Jonah. If this story were about the Ninevites, we'd hear a lot more about the calamity that was averted. There would probably be a high holy day and a yearly celebration of their salvation, and a lot more people would know their story. But this is Jonah's story. And if we really take time to pay attention, we learn that he learns a lot more in this story than the Ninevites do. After all, the Ninevites don't really need his sermon, right? It's more of a courtesy text than a sermon after all. They believe God, not Jonah, the story says. Maybe because of Jonah's mediocre attempt at preaching, they believe God instead of Jonah, but it's more likely it's because God was already there. God sends Jonah to Nineveh not because the Ninevites really, really need Jonah, but because Jonah really needs the Ninevites. 
Jonah is the main character, and it is he that needs to learn how God sees the people of God. See, how Jonah sees the Ninevites in this story is not how God sees the Ninevites. You see, Jonah had bought into a story, the prevailing story about the Ninevites that was in his world, in his culture. He thought they were somehow less, less worthy, less faithful, less holy, less right, just less. We don't know why exactly. It's not clear he'd even ever met someone from Nineveh. We don't know. He didn't know much about them outside of the story he had been told and also that he absolutely didn't want them to have an encounter with God. Those were the things he knew. Why? Because he knows what's going to happen to the Ninevites if they have an encounter with the holy God. He says this very thing to God in his temper tantrum in the next chapter of Jonah. When, he, when God does not smite the Ninevites as promised, Jonah shouts, I knew it. I knew you would do this. This is why I didn't want to go here. You are gracious and slow to anger and merciful and blah, blah, blah. You're the best. And I really, really just wanted to watch them get what they had coming. That's why I said yes. I mean, after I said no. What he's mad about is God's willingness to extend grace to the people who, thought, who Jonah thought were unworthy of it. I love Jonah because Jonah is in good company every time he shows up in a room like this. We are guilty of this same thing. We other people, without getting to know them, we buy into the stories we've been told without a personal relationship or asking a single question. We make assumptions and consider people less in all the same ways Jonah did. That is why I love this story. We are all Jonah. Who do we want grace for ourselves, but not for everybody? Especially not that guy over there, right? Old Testament scholar Leslie Allen puts it this way, a Jonah lurks in every Christian heart, whimpering his insidious message of smug prejudice, empty traditionalism, and exclusive solidarity. He that has ears to hear, let him hear and allow the saving love of God, which has been outpoured in his own heart, to remold his thinking and social orientation. We have a lot to learn from Jonah's call story. That's what this is, a call story. He isn't the best guy. He fails up constantly. I mean, Jonah was called, ran, repented, was saved, was called again, did the bare minimum, got mad when it worked, got even more mad at God's grace, and still managed to have an entire book of the Bible named after him. Maybe there's hope for the rest of us yet. Jonah is the main character of this ridiculous story to remind us that not every disciple drops their nets and follows the call right away. And yet, and yet, this story reminds us that there is no place we can go where God is not already present. It reminds us that God's grace is bigger than we could possibly imagine, and it always includes more people than we want it to. And lastly, this story reminds us that God does not give up on us, 
even when we give up on God. What a frustration and what a relief. And to that we say, Amen. So this morning, we too have been given the grace of God. We held out our hand. We heard the words, this is for you. We took it into our whole selves, our body. This faith is embodied and we are called by God to take that with us as we go. And sometimes we want to run. I get it. Sometimes it is easier. It feels like the right choice to run in the other direction. But God calls us when we run. God calls us when we hide. God calls us when we drop our nets and say yes. God calls us when we can't believe we've been called and we think it's a mistake. God calls us all the time, every day. And we have been given that gift of grace so that we may go and give that same grace to those in the world who need to be offered that same thing we have been given. So do we take what we have been given out into the world to go in peace and love and serve the Lord. 